Hey, Notorious Bakersfield fans. Notorious Bakersfield, the book, is available for purchase. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love the book. Notorious Bakersfield, the book, dives deeper into the most infamous crimes, incidents, and personalities that have shaped Bakersfield. This literary adaptation uncovers 30 astonishing true stories from Bakersfield and Kern County's last century. Notorious stories from a notorious community. To purchase your copy, go to Amazon.com or your Amazon app and search for Notorious Bakersfield, the book. This is the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Before getting started on this week's Notorious Bakersfield story, I want to give you a heads up about an event that is coming up uh, regarding Notorious Bakersfield. It will be a Notorious Bakersfield listener Reader Appreciation Day. Um, you're invited to come to Rusty's Pizza on Weibel Road, 1500 Weibel Road, February 9th. That's a Friday. Uh, for free pizza, we'll have the book available. If you've already bought the book, uh, you can bring it and uh, we'll be happy to autograph it. The reason for this event is the co-author of Notorious Bakersfield, the book, Carolyn Harvey will be in Bakersfield and uh, wanted everybody, everybody to get a chance to meet Carolyn at this, uh, this pizza party and it'll be Valentine's themed and we'll have some uh, uh, door prizes and a lot of fun. So if you listen to Notorious Bakersfield and uh, you, or you've read the book, you're more than welcome to come uh, get some free pizza and uh, win some door prizes. So it should be a fun night. Uh, for notorious Bakersfield fans. Come on out. February 9th at 6 p.m. Rusty's Pizza, 1500 Weibel Road. On the night of October 10th, 1989, a Bakersfield City firefighter was off duty at his campus park home. He was in his bedroom when he noticed movement just outside the window. Someone in his backyard was watching him, peering in through the open bedroom window. This off-duty firefighter ran out to his backyard. Whoever was peeping into his window took off running. They made it to the front yard and down the street in the direction of a friend's house, a fellow Bakersfield City firefighter's house. He called his friend and told him what was going on. Together, the two off-duty firefighters eventually caught up to the peeping Tom. He was out of breath and sweating. The firefighters made a citizen's arrest and waited for police to arrive. Unbeknownst to these two firefighters at the time, they just captured the suspected serial arsonist who'd been terrorizing Bakersfield for months. This is the Southwest Arsonist. I'm sure there's a lot of you listening to this podcast who live in one of Bakersfield's Southwest neighborhoods. 
Silver Creek, the Oaks, Seven Oaks, Hagen Oaks, and Campus Park. If you do, did you know when these areas were being developed, a serial arsonist targeted them? On the morning of June 16, 1989, construction workers arrived to their job site to what appeared to be remnants of a fire, a fire that someone attempted to set to a house under construction. This fire apparently extinguished itself before causing too much damage. But that was the first indication that a serial arsonist was on the verge of wrecking havoc throughout the summer of 1989. That first suspicious fire on June 16th was in the Oaks neighborhood. A couple of weeks later, the same thing, but this time the fire setter targeted three homes in one day, minutes apart, in the early morning hours in the Oaks development. These fires were just blocks away from the fire that self-extinguished. But this time the fires were much more destructive. The homes were completely destroyed. All of the fires that were set were to homes that were under construction. They were in neighborhoods that were still being developed, and they were in the Oaks neighborhood. Then, towards the end of July 1989, the arsonist struck again, this time in the Campus Park neighborhood. Again, the fire consumed a single-family home under construction. As July wore on, more suspicious fires erupted, destroying even more partially built homes. In August 1989, another rash of fires were set. They were in the Oaks, Hagen Oaks, Campus Park, and Seven Oaks neighborhoods. All of these fires had a couple of things in common. All were homes that were under construction and all were started in the early morning hours between 1.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning. They were set with an open flame instrument, a match or a lighter, using raw construction materials as fuel for igniting and feeding the flames. Through news reports and word of mouth, the public became aware of these rash of fires. Using the geographic location the fire setter targeted, whoever the person was, became known as the Southwest Arsonist. New home builders began using various tactics to ward off the arsonist. They employed security guards to patrol housing developments and erected temporary fencing around construction sites. And authorities went undercover too. Here's Marvin Casey, a retired Bakersfield City fire arson investigator who worked this case. With the help of the Bakersfield City Police Department, we would go out there on stakeout and just trying to catch this guy, you know, just undercover and watching the scene and looking. But he never did make a move until the nights that we weren't out there, the nights that we weren't out there patrolling, then he made his move and torched him. Your first guess as to who the most likely suspect would be, you might think of a disgruntled home buyer, someone who felt they were wronged by a builder, maybe someone whose new home purchase fell through. I asked Marvin Casey about that possibility. Disgruntled home buyer, a guy that didn't get paid, you know, a, a 
contractor that wasn't paid, a, a plumber or a, a framer or somebody that, you know, we looked at all that and we got lists of all those guys, interviewed them, talked to them and everything. It wasn't just one construction firm that found themselves victims. Multiple companies suffered losses. Since these fires were set in neighborhoods and various stages of development, the areas were sparsely populated. Not many people had moved into these neighborhoods. So that meant the arsonists could move about with little notice. But that wasn't always the case. There were a few residents who witnessed a young man riding a red moped in the neighborhood just prior to a fire starting. One couple who lived next door to a torched home saw a young man watching the fire as firefighters battled the flames. This couple notified authorities and gave them a description. Being woken up by sirens became frequent occurrences for residents who already moved into these neighborhoods. Panic set in when the glow of fire blared through their windows. Their hearts stopped racing, only when they realized it wasn't their home ablaze, but one next door or down the street. At this point, the fire starter targeted unoccupied homes, homes still under construction. The collective worry for authorities and residents who'd already moved into these neighborhoods was that whoever this arsonist was would progress to occupied residents. This guy, if he got away with it, he'd start, you know, progressing to houses that were occupied. And then, and then if he really run into somebody, you know, that was wanting their house burnt, then there's monetary value. He'll learn to, to make money off of it. Several of these fires did come dangerously close to spreading to occupied homes. One time, fire engulfed a wooden fence between an occupied house and an unoccupied house under construction. The arsonist didn't progress to occupied homes, but he did become more brazen. In the early morning hours of September 3rd, 1989, he struck again. Three under-construction homes were torched on one street, Carvalho Court in Campus Park. While firefighters were busy extinguishing these three structure fires, another fire erupted blocks away on Bambro Court. Now that the arsonist was getting more bold, setting four fires in close proximity and time to each other, and near an army of firefighters, authorities felt it was time for a public plea. In the days after the Campus Park fires, several articles were published in the Bakersfield Californian. These articles focused on the serial arson fires that plagued southwest Bakersfield. These stories took into account different perspectives, how these fires were affecting home builders, how investigators were working to catch the arsonist, and how these fires were disrupting the lives of people who purchased these homes. Remember, a lot of people had escrow deadlines that had to be postponed. New home builders came together 
to offer a $10,000 reward to anybody who could identify a suspect that led to their prosecution. Then, by accident, a suspect was identified. At the end of September 1989, Captain Marvin Casey and another arson investigator went to the scene of a fire. Here's Casey explaining how that occurred. And the day we caught him, it was just like, uh, it was a gift. Because my secretary didn't tell us about the fire until 5 o'clock. She's supposed to report those fires early so we can go out and investigate them. Like when they come in overnight, and then we go out and investigate it. But she said, oh, by the way, guys, we had a fire. And it was just 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, me and another investigator, Billy Gocher, we were, we were upset about it. So we went out to the fire scene, and it was a house under construction out in the southwest, and then we looked at this burn. It burnt the house down, you know. But then we were following some, some tracks. We didn't know at the time what kind of tracks they were, but we were following some tracks, and it went out to, to a fence that was bordering the house, and he jumped over the fence, and out of the fence was a canal bank. So we were walking down the canal bank following these tracks, and we got down there about a quarter of a mile, and looked down there and saw this young man, about six foot tall, a little over six foot tall, young guy, and he was throwing dirt clods in the canal. The canal was dry. So we walked down there and said, just a curiosity. I said, Bill, I'm going to call that guy up here. You want to talk to him? Because he might know something. So I called him up there. I said, hey, come on up here. So the first thing he did was turn around and look up there and said, who, me? I said, hello, yes, you're the only one there. You know, come on up. So he came up there. As he walked up, I saw the tracks, and the tracks matched the ones that we were following down the canal bank. I mean, it looked just like it. So I said, hey, come over here and turn around. I said, and put your print down, put your shoe down right here. And so when he came over there, he went, he smeared it like that. And I said, oh, no, no, no. So I got down, held his leg, and I said, put it down softly like this, you know. So mashed it down like that, and I pulled it up. And I was down below there, so I looked at the track and went, looked up at Billy. And I said, we took him in and sat in there and and." and interviewed, talked to him, and interrogated him, you know, until probably about three or four hours, until finally he copped out to it. He copped out to, to setting him, you know. This suspect's name was Kenneth Jones. While authorities worked to build a case against him, Jones remained free. But the series of suspicious fires in southwest Bakersfield came to an end. The interesting thing about this case after Jones was interrogated about those arson fires, a couple of weeks later was when he was caught peeping into the firefighter's window. The fireman happened to be in my office one time when I was making the photo lineup, and he saw the guy's picture. He says, hey, that's old Kenny. He said, I recognize him. He says, we got him for a few times. Kenneth Jones ended up pleading no contest to the charges stemming from that incident, the Peeping Tom case. In a plea agreement with the Kern County District Attorney, Jones pled guilty to three of the arson fires, only three out of dozens of fires that were attributed to the Southwest arsonist. He was sentenced to six years in prison. A dollar amount was never released regarding damages caused by these arson fires. Considering all of the destruction these fires caused, I'm certain it would have reached into the millions of dollars. Resources used to research the story 
the Bakersfield Californian, and retired Bakersfield City Fire Arson Investigator, Captain Marvin Casey. Thank you to Marvin Casey for taking the time to talk to me. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe, stay out of trouble, don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. Just helping you out with your facts there.